Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It For was the day. best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, on our last podcast, we did discuss the highlights from Orwell's appendix, The Principles of Newspeak. Now, we again, we just gave you highlights. I think you need to study that on your own. Now, for today's program, I'm going to give you some final thoughts on 1984. I promised this to you, and I'm going to deliver on my promise. To help me do this, in the studio with me today is my partner in literature and my wife, Deborah. So welcome back, Deborah. Thank you. All right, so a couple of programs ago, we were all, we had uh, the female panel and the male panel together, and we were talking about book three, and I felt like we were unfinished. And so I just felt like there were some other things we needed to discuss. And so uh, let's talk some more about book three today, just maybe the the final things we want to leave people with, and then we're going to move on to Youth by Joseph Conrad. So I think one of the things we want to talk about first is I, I think the fact that Winston is forced to surrender himself emotionally to the party. And uh, I have some things on page 250. And, I mean, he is a fighter. Uh, like I said in the last program, at the beginning he can look really weak. But in some way, I mean, he's got that, the, you know, the bad vein in his leg, and, you know, he's kind of sickly, and, uh, of course, he's old. You know, not as old as I am, but he's old. And, um, you know, he's, he, he, uh, he lives in kind of dingy circumstances and all that. But uh, in some ways, he's really, he's really pretty tough. And, and uh, this is on my page 250. It's uh, obviously... Um, He's in, in the Ministry of Love. He's being tortured. It says, uh, Suddenly he started up with a shock of horror. The sweat broke out on his backbone. He had heard himself cry out loud, Julia, 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 my love, Julia. And you know, re- remember now, remember Parsons got turned in by his daughter to the thought police because he said something in his sleep. And so here we have uh, Winston Smith now realizing, wow, He's in the ministry of love. He says something he probably shouldn't be saying. He said, for a moment he had had an overwhelming hallucination of her presence. She had seemed to be not merely with him, but inside him. It was though she had gotten into the texture of his skin. In that moment, he had loved her far more than he had ever done when they were together and free. Also, he knew that somewhere or other she was still alive and needed his help. He lay on the bed and tried to compose himself. What had he done? How many years had he added to his servitude by that moment of weakness? <laughs> and he goes on, Orwell goes on to write, In another moment he would hear the tramp of boots outside. They could not let such an outburst go unpunished. So um, I think, you know, it, it just, it, here he is. He's, he's emotionally distraught, I think, at this point. I'll let you go ahead and... and take it over here. Yes, well, it was interesting is that Orwell is showing that that, that the party um, 
is not satisfied with obedience or that intellectual obedience that they want the whole person because he says he said um, he obeyed the party but he still hated the party in the old days he had hidden a heretical mind beneath an appearance of conformity now he had retreated a step further in the mind he had surrendered if if we go back to a little bit further with with the torture he had he had originally he had gone ahead and agreed that two and two can make five. Right. Remember that. Right. Yes. So he had he had intellectually in his mind surrendered, um, but he had hoped to keep the inner heart inviolate. He knew that he was in the wrong, and he preferred to be in the wrong. So he he wanted to stay that way, and then it, then he he says they would understand that O'Brien would understand it. <laughs> so he still thought that O'Brien somehow would would uh, be on his side but it was all confessed in that single foolish cry so they in other words he knew that they heard him and it, it was an emotion where he still had an emotion of love for julia so he knew that they were going to come and get him and so yes well you know it, it is it is kind of interesting there that that you know he still feels like um you know o'brien is anti-party and he doesn't necessarily really see the O'Brien is really deeply in the party. He is the party in a lot of yeah. ways, yes. Yeah, he's, <laughs> yes. In some ways, you could think he's he's actually Big Brother. Yes, or yeah. he's really close to Big Brother, yes. <laughs> really close to Big <laughs> yes. Brother. And, of course, I don't believe Big Brother ever, you know, ever Exist, existed. Right. So, so, but, but, but the thing is, I, I do think it's interesting, um, you know, even last time we were talking about Newspeak, is is here Winston really is still trying to hold on to his own thoughts and his own personality. Right. And and I think sometimes, I think even as people, you know, sometimes we don't really um, consider our emotional state as well, but that, that is a large part of personality. And, of course, you, you know, I, I think uh, uh, Winston wanted to keep keep that hidden you know keep his emotions hidden and uh i know even as a as a child you know i was six out of seven kids and uh, sometimes uh it was hard you know to to show emotions in, in the family because you know when you have seven people you kind of stir up a lot of people you know so you you kind of had to learn to accept things and bury your emotions and i think that's what winston is kind of going through here it says he would have to start all over again. It might take years. He ran a hand over his face, trying to familiarize himself with the new shape. There were deep furrows in the cheeks. The, the cheekbones felt sharp. The nose flattened. Now, now he's what he's saying there, oh, no, am I going to have to start the torture all over again? Am I going to have to start from the beginning? And, uh, you know, are they gonna, how are they going to go after this? And uh, there's, I, I think it's right after this is where, O'Brien makes him look at himself in a mirror. You know, they're really tearing him down. So uh, it says, besides, since last seeing himself in a glass, he had been given a complete new set of teeth. Oh, I guess in some ways, this is when he's he's still uh, he's recuperating. He's recuperating. He it's before Room One Hundred One, but he's been recuperating right. from the other. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, a torture. Yes. Yeah. So. You see people out there; it's all coming back. <laughs> yeah. I go out into the mm-hmm. Newspeak appendix, and like they they gave him a chance to kind of recuperate after that, right? Okay, so, which is which is really part of the torture. Mm-hmm. It was it was a part of the torture to let him come back 
to a certain stability, and then they were going to go after him again. It says, uh, he says, in any case, mere control of the features was not enough. For the first time, he perceived that if you want to keep a secret, you must hide it from yourself. Now, that's a great line. So, so he realizes that, you know, if you're going to really maintain your individuality in a totalitarian government, you've got to hide everything. And, and how can you hide certain things when you're sleeping? You know, uh, you know, I know you've got me yelling out at night because I watched too many horror movies as a kid. <laughs> you know, so, so uh, uh, anyway, okay. So, so he he does realize he has to surrender uh, emotionally. He says it goes on now. It says you must you must know all the while that that it is there, but until it is needed, you must never let it emerge into your consciousness in any shape that could be given a name. From now onwards, he must not only think right, he must feel right, dream right. And all the while, he must keep his hatred locked up inside him like a ball of matter, which was part of himself and yet unconnected with the rest of him as a kind of cyst. And, and of course, then he goes on to talk about, about the bullet. You know, one day they were going to shoot him. This was, this was just so vivid in his mind. So uh, anyway, do you have any other thoughts there? Well, just just the fact that that um, he 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 wants to keep the hatred because I guess he feels he can't get rid of the hatred, but he wants to survive. So he's trying to emotionally feel right and somehow, but somehow hide that in, you know, in a way. But then he thought he do, does talk about the the bullet. He's talked about it many times about how he just he always figured he was they were going to get him eventually, but. Um, in this case, you know, he talks about the bullet, and um, he said the heretical thought would be unpunished, unrepented, out of their reach forever. They would have blown a hole in their own perfection. To And this is where I think is interesting. He says, to die hating them, that was freedom. Right. So he, he wanted to keep that, even if he's, he was killed, he wanted to keep that hatred, you know, because that was freedom. So that was his his way of fighting against the the totalitarianism. The party, yeah. Yes. So, so anyway, I I think that's a really powerful line there, a powerful writing by Orwell. To die mm-hmm. hating, hating them was freedom. Now, remember, he 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 did fight on the side of the communists in Catalonia, and so so he obviously would have experienced. You know, some of these people that were so pro-communist, you know, he wasn't necessarily, you know, that way. But then when they came after him, you know, he could, he probably had to hide his, some of his thoughts, some, you know, some of uh, his feelings and emotions. So, so to me, it's just amazing that he understood this so deeply, you know, that he could create all this and, and really talk about it. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's been all of these you know, stories over the years about people that are kidnapped, you know, and, and uh, you know, they have to keep themselves, you know, going. And, and uh, of course, then there's the Stockholm, you know, syndrome where people just, you know, agree with their kidnappers. He didn't do this. Winston didn't do it. You know, he didn't suffer from Stockholm syndrome. No, ex- except that he did, somehow he had this affection for O'Brien. <laughs> Except oh, yeah, for that. no, that's just but, weird. That, but it's yeah. true. He he didn't believe, you know, go with with what they were saying. Yeah, yeah. So it's true. I, I've you know, read in another yeah. essay where, where they, it's almost like he has more love for O'Brien than he really does for Julia. Mm. 
Yeah. You know, it's it's like mm-hmm. he he kind of worships O'Brien. Right. You know, really in that way. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, anyway, I, I think that next paragraph down is 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 also good in in terms of him trying to get control of himself. He said he shut he shut his eyes. It was more difficult than accepting an intellectual discipline. It was a question of degrading himself, mutilating himself. He had got to plunge into the filthiest of filth. What was most horrible, sickening thing of it all? He thought of Big Brother, the enormous face, because of constantly seeing it on posters. He always thought of it as being a meter wide. With its heavy black mustache and the eyes that followed you to and fro, seemed to float into his mind in its own accord. What were his true feelings towards Big Brother? There was a heavy tramp of boots in the passage. The steel door swung open with a clang. O'Brien walked into the cell. Behind him were the waxen-faced officer and the black-uniformed guards. Get up, said O'Brien. Come here. Winston stood opposite him. O'Brien took Winston's shoulders between his strong hands, looked at him closely. You have had thoughts of deceiving me, he said. That was stupid. Stand up straighter. Look me in the face. That's chilling. <laughs> yes, right. He knew it was going to happen, and then there it happened. Yes, there it happened. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, and and I think this is where he really begins to capitulate. He says, uh, uh, he said he paused and went on to a gentler tone. He says, "You are improving intellectually. There is very little wrong with you. It is only emotionally that you have failed to make progress." Tell me, Winston, and remember, no lies. You know that I'm always able to detect a lie. Tell me, what are your true feelings toward Big Brother? And what does he say? I hate him. I hate him. (laughs) You hate him. Good. Then the time has come for you to take the last step. You must love Big Brother. It's not enough to obey him. You must love him. He released Winston with a little push towards the guards. Room 101, he said. (laughs) I get... I get the creepy. Yes, we don't crawlies. need. I'd rather rather not that. talk about room one hundred and one. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but yes. All right. But we know what happens. So, so, so I guess you'd agree that he he emotionally capitulates there. Well, he doesn't. I, I don't think he emotionally capitulates there. It's in room one hundred and one. He does right. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. that's what that's where he has to you know he be, give in because yeah he gives up Julia. Right. I didn't think you wanted to talk about room one hundred and one. I don't really want to know. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well. Well. Okay. So. So we. Uh, we need to. We need to keep moving. Keep forward moving. Here. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> I would say. Okay. So. So let's talk now. Now we started it. We've got to talk a little bit about Room One Hundred One. We've got right. to talk about the final total change. All right. So let's go. What brings about the final total change? What brings about yes. the ti- mm-hmm. final total change? All right. So it's it's basically room 101 is the thing that you that you're afraid of most. It's the worst thing for you and so somehow they they always know what it is. Yes, yes. well we know what it was for him. And it was yes. It's, it's mm-hmm. being chewed up by a rat. Yeah. So basically that's what what led him to go ahead and and g- give up Julia. That was what they wanted her him to do. If you go to um where he um it says that he actually meets her. This is a little bit later. He's at, he's in the, um, this is after it's over. And it says, they can't get inside you, she had said, but they could. 
get inside you. What happens to you here is forever, O'Brien had said. That was a true word. There were things, your own acts, from which you could not recover. Something was killed in your breast, burnt out, cauterized. And then he talks about how he saw Julia again and how they they really didn't um, speak very much. They kind of got together a little bit, but they both told each other. She says, I betrayed you, she said baldly. And he said to her, I betrayed you. And um, she said, sometimes they threaten you with something, something you can't stand up to, can't even think about. And then you say, don't do it to me, do it to somebody else, do it to so-and-so. Yes. And so, and at that point, you, you don't really care. They suffer. All you care about is yourself. All you care, and that's what, that's what they said. All you care about is yourself. And that, after that, you don't feel the same toward the other person. So that's, and he says, no, you don't feel the same. So that's, that's what happened. So in some, in some ways, I think what, the, what we have to look at, I know that after um, we talked about book three before, I know um, Grant Turgeon asked me, he said, do you think it was like shock treatment that they put him through? And I think it was mm-hmm. because they have no feeling. Right, cause they, know, because cause they did do the, um, um, you know, ele- they use electricity. They yeah. use electric shock, right. mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I do think that it's it's interesting that they did both betray each other, but then they still have they had no real feelings for each other anymore. Yeah, after that they had no feelings, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, uh, let me just go go. Let me just follow the, where he's still following her. He says, um, uh, after that you don't feel the same toward another person any longer. He says, no. He said, you don't feel the same. There did not seem to be anything more to say. The wind plastered their thin overalls against their bodies. Almost at once it became embarrassing to sit there in silence. Beside, it was too cold to keep still. She said something about catching her tube and stood up to go. He said, we must meet again. Yes, she said, we must meet again. He followed resolutely for a little distance, half a pace behind her. They did not speak again. She did not actually try to shake him off, but walked at just a... She walked at just such a speed as to prevent his keeping abreast of her. He had made up his mind that he would accompany her as far as the tube station, but suddenly this process of trailing along in the cold seemed pointless and unbearable. He was overwhelmed by desire not so much to get away from Julia as to get back to the Chestnut Tree Cafe, which had never seemed so attractive as at this moment. He had a nostalgic vision of his corner table with the newspaper and chessboard and the ever-flowing gin, Above all, it would be warm in there. The next moment, not altogether by accident, he allowed himself to become separated from her by a small knot of people. He had made a half-hearted attempt to catch up, then slowed down, turned and made off in the opposite direction. When he had gone 50 meters, he looked back. The street was not crowded, but already he could not distinguish her. Any one of a dozen hurrying figures might have been hers, Perhaps her thickened, stiffened body was no longer recognizable from behind. And he said, at the time when it happened, she, she had said, you do mean it. He had meant it. He had not merely said it. He had wished it. He had wished that she had not, that she and not he should be delivered over to the, and that means to the torture. Right. Mm-hmm. So he had said it. She had said it. He said, something changed in the music that, that trickled from the telescreen. A cracked and cheering uh, note, a yellow note, came into it. And then perhaps it was not happening. Perhaps it was only a memory 
taking on the semblance of a sound, a voice was singing, under the spreading chestnut tree, I sold you and you sold me. <laughs> so so I, I do think it's interesting that they, they both seem to be just numb to each other. Yes, totally numb, yes. Totally numb, mm-hmm. as they say about some depressed people, no affect. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can almost almost mm-hmm. see it. And, of course, I think they, they've stopped shock treatment now, haven't they, in the world? I'm not really sure about that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if you're in a totalitarian society, anything could happen. But notice, I think it's interesting there, it says, tears welled up in his eyes. A passing waiter noticed that his glass was empty and came back with a gin bottle. And so, so I still think that maybe Orwell is giving us some insight that maybe there still was a little bit of emotion yes, there. Yes, I'm not sure why the tears welled up. I didn't know what that right, meant. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so anyway, mm-hmm. but, but this was uh, uh, the real total change comes when, uh, at the, I think, at the very end. Um, and maybe, uh, do you know where I'm going with that one? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So so the big total change comes comes at the very end but 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 I do think it's interesting um, you know that this whole scene in the um, the chestnut cafe it's just it's just really so sad isn't it yes it's like I mean he, he was how many years older than her anyway but now it's like he, it's it's almost like he's become like this really old man and you know he's worn out he's drained out and uh, all he can think about is, you know, his gin, and the, you know, the cafe. Um, and they keep they keep refilling his gin all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But notice uh, this is page two sixty three for me. I think I think one of the the big things is if you remember his job, you know, was to rewrite history, and it, I, I think this is another part of the scene where he's really capitulated, where he's really given in. And here it says, the telescreen was silent for a moment. Winston raised his head again. The bulletin, but no, they were merely changing the music. He had the map of Africa behind his eyelids. The movement of the armies was a diagram, a black arrow tearing vertically southward and a white arrow tearing horizontally eastward across the tail of the first. As though for reassurance, he looked up at the imperturbable face in the portrait, was it conceivable that the second arrow did not even exist? His interest flagged again. He drank another mouthful of gin, picked up the white knight, made a tentative move. Check. But it was evidently not the right move because... And then he just leaves a dash. It says, uncalled, a memory floated into his mind. He saw a candlelit room with a vast white counterpane bed, himself a boy of nine or ten, sitting on the floor shaking a dice box and laughing excitedly. His mother was sitting opposite him and also laughing. It must have been about a month before she disappeared. It was a moment of reconciliation when the nagging hunger in his belly was forgotten and his earlier affection for her had temporarily revived. And so so here, what I think is interesting, he's, you know, he, he's in his mind now as, as he was rewriting history and he knows a lot of those things that were going on in the war were false, but that's what's uppermost in his mind. You know, he can see the map, and but then he begins to wonder, you know, is this really happening or not happening? So, so he drifts back, you know, into his dreams. Um, but notice at the bottom of page 264, 
It says he pushed the picture out of his mind. It was a false memory. He was troubled by false memories occasionally. They did not matter so long as one knew them for what they were. Some things had happened, others had not happened. He turned back to the chessboard and picked up the white knight again. Almost in the same instant, dropped it onto the board with a clatter. He had started as though a pin had run into him. A shrill trumpet call had pierced the air. It was the bulletin. Victory. It always meant victory when a trumpet call preceded the news. A sort of electric thrill ran through the cafe. Even the waiters had started and picked up their ears. The trumpet call had let loose an enormous volume of noise. Already an excited voice was grabbing, uh, gabbing from, gabbling from the telescreen, but even as it started, it was almost drowned by a roar of cheering from outside. Um, the news had run around the streets like magic. He could hear just enough what was issuing from the telescreen to realize that it had happened as he had foreseen. A vast seaborne armada secretly assembled a sudden blow in the enemy's rear, the white arrow tearing across the tail of the black. Fragments of triumphant phrases pushed themselves through the din. Vast strategic maneuvers, perfect coordination, utter rout, half a million prisoners, complete demoralization, control of the whole of Africa, bring the war with measurable distance of its end, victory, greatest human vic- victory in human history, victory, victory, victory. But then it goes on to say, under the table, Winston Winston's feet made convulsive movements. He had not stirred from his seat, but his mind was running swiftly. He was running with the crowds outside, cheering himself deaf. He looked again up at the portrait of Big Brother, the colossus that bestrode the world, the rock against which the hordes of Asia dashed themselves in vain. He thought how ten minutes ago, yes, only ten minutes, there had still been equivocation in his heart as he wondered whether the news from the front would be a victory or defeat. Ah, it was more than a Eurasian army that had perished. Much had changed in him since the first day in the ministry of love, but the final indispensable healing change had never happened until this moment. <laughs> so he's he, he knows it's all false, but he goes for it. Yes, yes, he's he's accepted that his memories were false, and 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 whatever happens, whatever is up on the telescreen is true, and he's accepted it all now. Right, yeah. right. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, I, I think that's uh, this this last this last section really does show how he uh, he really gave in. He said the voice on the telescreen was still pouring forth its tale of prisoners and booty and slaughter, but the shouting outside had died down a little. The waiters were turning back to their work. One of them approached with a gin bottle. Winston, sitting in a blissful dream, paid no attention as his glass was filled up. He was not running or cheering any longer. He was back in the ministry of love with everything forgiven, his soul white as snow. <laughs> he was in the public dock, confessing everything, implicating everybody. He was walking down the wide-tailed corridor with the feeling of walking in sunlight and an armed guard at his back. The long, hoped-for bullet was entering his brain. So, so, so this is his dream, you know, this yes. pleasant dream of getting the bullet. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, amazing. But but it shows that he was, like you said, he's emotionally destroyed. Because before, because just a while before that, he, he had said to die, to get that bullet, and to die hating Big Brother was freedom. But now here he is, he's, he's happy, he's happily, you know. All right, but the ultimate is still to come. Right. Right now. <laughs> yeah. All right, the last paragraph of yeah. the book. It says he gazed up at the enormous face. 
40 years it had taken him to learn what kind of smile was hidden beneath a dark mustache. Oh, that's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Is, is there, it's like uh, we saw last night, uh, you know, the, your cousin that has the the face mask with the open plastic so that you can see their mouth. Mm-hmm. That is the fres- most frustrating thing about masks. You can't tell if people are smiling or that's smirking. Tr- that's true. You know? <laughs> said, he said, oh, cruel, needless misunderstanding. Oh, stubborn, self-wild exile from the loving breast. Two gin-scented tears trickled down the sides of his nose, so he must be really drunk. Mm-hmm. says, but it was all right. Everything was all right. The struggle was finished. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Big Brother. <laughs> so all this talk about hate was gone. Yes, and so he loves Big Brother. He so, loves Big Brother. So the, the, you know, when I first read this book, I thought, oh, he's, I thought he got the bullet. I thought he was killed. And I realized he actually was not killed physically. No. No, but he was, all... but he was, he was killed in his human spirit. He was his personality. That's right. He, yeah, he was he, killed he that way. He believed in the human spirit, but yeah. his was destroyed. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time we will begin our discussion of Joseph Conrad's novella Youth. Now you can buy Youth at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at ABEbooks.com. Now you can also probably find a copy in your local bookstore. Now, of course, you can also check your local library. Now, again, you may need to call the library ahead of time to make sure they're open. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. So until next time, keep reading. been listening to just the best literature on trumpet radio 101.3 kpcg streaming online at kpcg.fm and the trumpet.com